5th of the date of privacy detective. It's St. Patrick's Day, March 17, 2022. And today we're going to talk about the data protection officer role in the European Union. What is that? The DPO, as it's uh, known as. And we have a wonderful guest with us today, Marie Pinot. And Marie, uh, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us from Germany. Thank you for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. And Marie, you're a trilingual data protection professional uh, working from Germany, uh, and you have that's your right. own consultancy. And uh, you yes, speak right. uh, very fluent German, French, and English. So, uh, and you deal in different countries uh, of the EU, and perhaps also with the United Kingdom, even though it's left. Uh, uh, the European Union, and, and we're going to talk about this role that you often perform for companies as an outsourced data protection officer. So sketch for us what the role of a DPO uh, under Euro European Union law really is. What do you do? How does it work? Yeah, thank you. So <clears throat> the role of the DPO, of course, first and foremost, is to inform and advise a, a controller or a processor. So basically companies, entities um, who deal with data, what they can and what they can't do with the data, right? And so far we're talking personal data under EU. Yes, yeah, sorry, let's be very clear here. So it's uh, yeah. personal information, which differs a little bit uh, from whatever the um, US sees as PII. So, Right. So the, the thing is, with uh, personal information, we're much, much broader in our definition of it. So it is. Oh, it has yes. yeah, home address is uh, personal information or telephone. Correct. Right. It's very um, broad definition. Um, even if you have a dog or not, for example, because in Germany, you would have to pay a tax for a dog. It's personal information. That's right. It is personal information. <laughs> so everything that's directly or indirectly um identifying a human living being. And your role as a DPO, uh, I, when a company hires you to be its uh, DPO, you have some, of course, obligations to the company, but you also have obligations to the government and, and, and maybe even the people whose uh, data is being kept by a company. Do I get it right? Absolutely, yes, uh, you're very right. Uh, my principal goal is to protect the people um, of which the data is processed by the companies that employ me. That could be customers or suppliers or company employees, all or sorts of people. Employees, exactly, or children, or um, um, members of organizations, um, everything, actually. Any individual um, that would find itself in the systems, IT or actually paper systems of a company um, will be encompassed in the protection. That you're working on. Now, I would guess that creates certain tensions for you. A company, of course, wants you to help support the company's interest, and yet you have duties uh, both to the data uh, protection authority in a particular country or throughout the EU and also to the individual. So how do you actually maneuver among these these different loyalties all of which you have uh this is sometimes very tricky you're right um well the first loyalty of course is to the individual um it 
I have to say to companies, if they're doing something that is infringing the rights and the freedoms of those individuals that they're doing wrong. That doesn't mean that they're listening to me or that they're absolutely doing whatever they're supposed to be changing, but I need to point it out because I need to monitor this compliance with this regulation. And that can also um, have to mean that I need to go to the authorities because um, th there has been a data breach, for example, and uh, I'm the spokesperson between the controller or processor for which I work and um, the authorities to which I uh, abide. That's how the EU has set up these rules. So whether a DPO is internal or outsourced, as, as you are uh, with companies, uh, it, it doesn't matter that that individual, whoever it is, who agrees to be the DPO, has that responsibility ultimately, that even if the company says, well, we don't want to do anything about it, you may have the obligation of calling the Data Protection Authority and, and informing them, correct? Yeah, yeah, well, and that's kind of where, to me, that's really a last resort because, I mean, yes. th that means that you have lost all other mechanisms of working with that company. Right, and there certainly are uh, accounting firms that have faced this problem that the company wants to engage in financial shenanigans. At some point, they simply resign, and, and these things do happen. Well, here, let's talk about how right. it works in practice. Tell us about exa an example where this role of, a, of an outsourced DPO has, has really gone very well. There is a an American company actually who has two European subsidiaries for which I'm a DPO, the external DPO, um, which have me as their DPO since um, I believe three years now, um, who are sometimes still baffled by whatever I tell them because uh, there are cultural differences, of course. There are things that are more natural to Europeans than to Americans, but who are very, very happy and tell me regularly that I make them sleep better. Well, that's right, because uh, national laws differ and cultures differ, absolutely. And, and, uh, and of course, Europe uh, doesn't have a overarching, completely uh, the same uh, system under GDPR. I mean, different countries can choose at what age a minor is defined, for example. So, so you really have to, you have to know the laws, not only of the, the EU, but of each individual country, where in this, this American company, my example, has people, and you're really helping them understand how that works. And uh, when it goes well, they, uh, that's why they're really engaging you. Is what I'm yeah, hearing. and don't get me wrong. It's sometimes really frictious um, relationships that I have to have because I need to get a point across. Well, and um, I imagine when you have a data breach of some kind in the EU, a very prompt uh, notice is expected under EU law, and then you have to call the company, and talk to them about how do we handle this. And you know, I can imagine there are bumps. But when it goes well, you're, you're, you're describing, a, you're, you're in-house in a way, because you're telling company, here's how you comply. That's really what you're doing. But it, do, do, am I right? That's sort of true, yes. What I would say is, uh, I like my external status because I actually would not be bullied or otherwise um, coerced into some decisions um, that I see with other DPO peers that are in-house 
and right, uh, right. When, when you could lose your job as a DPO, that's different from being outsourced. And and, and the law gives you that independence. It's not uh, you personally. It's the law says that's the way you should act. Right. Yes, and um, keep in mind in Germany, there's also not only in the position of the DPO in Article 38 that you can't be dismissed for doing your job, but there is a a guarantee of non-dismissal in the German labor law. Very important, a little like uh, what we're familiar with in the United States as to whistleblower laws. Uh, so there's, yes. there are protections built into the law. But at the same time, a company uh, will understand that the role of the DPO is not optional if you need one. So this is one Correct. way to go. Yeah. In Germany, you have a much lower threshold of when you need a DPO. So that means either you're processing um, very sensitive data and or very large amounts of data. Of course, that's all GDPR as we know it. But if you have 20 people in Germany that are processing data, basically are sending emails around, um, then you need a DPO. And there in other are. countries, it's, it's a, a much, much bigger threshold. That's right. And if a U.S. or any other company has two or three or four or ten employees in Germany, they, 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 they really don't want to hire a full-time DPO on staff. And the outsourced arrangement makes a good deal of sense. Well, let me, let me turn to the other side uh, without, of course, naming names of any client. Uh, give us an example where there really have been tensions, where this, this uh, combination of loyalties of any DPO uh, and with you on an outsourced basis has, has really been difficult. Uh, give us an example of that and, and, and what lessons we can take from it. Yeah, I mean, the companies, and you probably have heard that uh, from clients as well, when they say, well, why can't we do that now anymore? We did that for 20 years or so. Very common, yes. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't have a problem with being the naysayer. That's maybe my, undiplomatic German, um, clinically German way of saying things. But um, yeah, if, if I do disagree with what the company is doing, and if I have the feeling that the company is in the wrong, I'm going to point it out. Now that also can be perceived as very uh, uncomfortable. Well, in that example uh, where it's gone wrong, and again, don't don't identify a client, of course. Uh, how do you handle it? What happens? I just try to still give them the value of whatever they have employed me for, what they are contracting me for. Um, it, th there has to be a job that needs to be done. And uh, instead of focusing on petty um, remarks, I'm probably more turned towards, well, this is what happened. Uh, we can't change it anymore. Let's go forward and try to not make that mistake in the future anymore. When you're external in this case, this is also where you have the disadvantage because sometimes you're a bit far further removed from whatever that, that company that you're DPOing for is doing. And if you're further removed, and this, the relationship is not very cordial, then it's becoming uh, even harder to do your job because you're not internal to the company. You can't just go to the water cooler and say, oh, by the way, um, maybe I've overreacted or maybe I could have chosen other words. 
Right. And uh, I mean, have you ever been forced to resign from a company or is it somehow does it, does it, does it always get worked through so far? Uh, not yet. No resign, uh, resignation yet. That's good. Then you're having exactly the role the uh, EU expected a DPO to serve, which is to work things out. I mean, the, uh, the privacy area is not a simple one. It's quite complicated, uh, always dependent on, on specifics. D don't forget that you're not the ultimate word in this. If your customer, your controller or your processor you're working for as a DPO is not willing to accept your advice, document it, but they don't if they don't want to because of X or um, Y or Z reasons, um, at least be sure that you are documenting whatever you have advised them. Because if anything goes wrong, goes sour or anything, um, authority or an audit comes in, you can say, but I did tell you otherwise. You just That's right. Did and the company ultimately may have, an, may have a dispute with the Data Protection Authority, and it may win, it may lose. Correct. But uh, that way, all Correct. everyone has done what they're supposed to do. Well, let me ask you one last point about functioning as an outsourced DPO, and, and that is, sure. what, do you, what do you see as the, when a company's looking at this that has a, a European presence or is monitoring uh, the uh, European uh, residents, what do you see as the advantages uh, and the disadvantages of using an outsourced DPO uh, as compared with using someone who's internal and is employed by the company? I think an advantage from the company's point of view would be that I'm not full-time, that um, I bill in a certain billing structure, um, and that... I might be much, much more expensive if I was on the normal, regular payroll. But that gives them the the experience and the expertise of a full-time person in this role, but not on on 100% uh, on the payroll of the company. And that, that's yes. an obvious savings, uh, cost savings. How about the disadvantages? As already previously mentioned, if if you're outside of the company because you're an external DPO, sometimes you don't get to the depth that you need to go when you want it. Because of course you need to, you, you want to advance in your tasks as quickly and as efficiently as you want. But um, I mean, especially with COVID and the pandemic, uh, being an outsourced DPO and being on team calls all the time, it is different to when you're all sitting in the same office. Not quite the personal interrelationships and a little harder to build trust by Zoom, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Understood. And ultimately, it is about trust. Data protection is also about trust. Of course, right. about transparency, yeah. but it is, um, yeah, it's basically you're good, true to your word to whatever you've said you would do. It's a triangle of trust. It's uh, yes. a trust among the government, the ultimately responsible authority for enforcing things with the people whose data is at stake and with the company who's holding or processing the data. And, and that you're within that triangle and trying to accomplish the purposes of the GDPR. And, and of course, the company's desire to abide by law and, and, and be privacy uh, sensitive, right? Yes. Now you're all you have a particular specialty and something I think very few people know about, and that has to do with religion. And Article 91 
of, of the GDPR. <laughs> What's that about? Yes. Um, so it's the countries in which there were existing data protection rules for churches and religious associations. What I actually do is I am working for one of those authorities of the clerical data protection world. And that gets into very, very, very private information, ranging from uh, confessionals and can that be disclosed to uh, the backgrounds of priests and all sorts of really very sensitive issues. It's not and so much to confessionals because that's really just oral information. But yes, of course, the fact that unless it's written down, yes, of um, course, <laughs> would, at least in in where I'm um, circulating, it wouldn't be. Yeah. But um, the good thing is that uh, the clergy is already privy and sensitive to the uh, confidentiality of data. That's, That's right. not something that right. you need to uh, instruct them. Uh, the other um, speciality is that, uh, so there's three laws in Germany, because in Article 91, let's be clear, just applies to Germany. You can cross out where member state and uh, replace it by where Germany's churches and religious associations That's because apply. Germany had a law in place when GDPR became effective. Correct. And other countries did not. So this is a strictly German question. Yes, yes. Okay. So that was kind of a Bismarckian era um, remnant that kind of we inherited. So that was, uh, the, the church is a state in the state in Germany. So uh, every employer, for example, needs to know your religious denomination because they need to pay church tax for you. Very interesting. And of course, different countries have different ways of dealing with this. The United States Correct. has its First Amendment and the so-called separation of church and state. But it's just another example of how you always have to get very specific in the data privacy area. It's not a simple subject, is it? No, Absolutely. Not. And for example, so in those three laws, I'm particularly uh, dealing with the um, data protection law for orders of pontifical rights. So that's basically enclaves of the Vatican in Germany, um, is that the religious denomination is not a special category of data because that's all there is. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of gets um, demoted to a kind of normal type of data that you're collecting in that particular um, surroundings. Well, Marie, thank you for taking us uh, on this tour of the life of a data protection officer who's not well, internal to a company. It's, it's such an important question. I think uh, it's a growing business. And as other countries uh, upgrade their own laws to require DPOs, it's, it's, it's clearly a question with the globalization of business, really important how to comply with this very differing laws around the world. And you've taken us on a great tour. So, Dankeschön, thank you very much for being with us, uh, Marie. And thank any concluding much. thought for our listeners? Be mindful of uh, the other's data, because data protection is not just for companies. It's for everyday life. Very good. And I'll conclude, as I always do, uh, remember, protecting your personal data begins with you. <laughs>